Ride Holds is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Ride Holds Show Podcast. Another episode of the Ryan Holt Show podcast. Uh, today we have an extremely uh, special guest. Um, I feel like this gentleman I'm about to introduce, uh, the only way we can really pay homage or respect and, and really thank him for his time is to, to do our digital deep dive, to do the homework. Uh, we went far back when you and Mario were, were doing videos just with a little Rebel T3 camera. Um, I mean, it's it's a long journey for you. Um, my next guest, his name is Patrick Bed-David. He's the CEO of PHP Agency. Uh, he's also the founder of Valuetainment, which is a, an amazing show on YouTube uh, that really combines entertainment with value. But Pat, the reason I really, really love you is when I look at all the Gary Vaynerchuks, the Grant Cardones, all these different names, you do an excellent job of telling people the how, like not the why necessarily, but here is how you break everything down. So um, much love, much respect. Welcome to the show, my friend. Good to be on, man. Thanks for having me. So one thing I really loved is that when we were on Instagram, you know, I've been uh, messaging you over the last, I don't know, maybe six to nine months. And it's kind of like, in in a way, I like to say it's almost like dating, right? If you message somebody, because you get hit up so many times in a day. And I really sat back and I thought, how can I really get, you know, this person's attention? I think that sincerity, authenticity is always going to be the way. But what really struck a chord is when you sent me a video back saying, man, Ryan, I really love your energy. And, and I, you know, I showed it to my wife and, and my wife was just like, you know, that's really cool. So my first question today is dedicated to my wife. And it's simply, what is one meal that you love that you could eat over and over and over and over again? It's called Gorme Sabzi. Gorme Sabzi. It's a stew, Middle Eastern stew. Let me put it to you this way. When my wife is a white girl, okay, so she's not Middle Eastern. And when we were dating on our first date, when we went out, I said, look, I'm, I've dated every nationality. The last thing anybody thought I was going to marry was a Middle Eastern because I just didn't date a lot of Middle Easterns. I said, but I do have one thing. She says, what is it? I said, you, the, the, my dad's cooking is so good that it's got to continue in our generation. So if you can learn to cook my dad's favorite dish. I don't care what ethnicity you are. I want to be able to uh, have that. And so my wife learned how to cook or sabzi. It's not an easy thing to make. It's very complicated. But if I can have one meal, it would be horma sabzi. Okay, I like that. Now, my wife is Egyptian Lebanese. So her dad was born in Egypt, but is Lebanese descent. Her mom is Palestinian and Guatemalan. So my wife is the most exotic. I call her the Lamborghini of just ethnicities, right? We have, I have a one, I have two kids. One, my king is named Dejan. He is two and a half. And I have my queen, which is Talia, which is three months. And they're beautiful, but we call them United Nations baby because I'm Jamaican, German, Canadian. So we have just a complete mix. But Middle Eastern culture, her dad is, you know, he loves to cook. He takes pride in that. So uh, thank you very much. Now, one thing I've watched all your interviews, most of them, it's interesting to see you being interviewed. It's a very different dynamic, as you know. Um, the one thing I have a question of is in one interview, you will be wearing your tie, your vest, your dress shirt pinned down, very formal. And then on another interview, you're in ripped jeans. You got your kicks on. Is this an alter ego thing? Is this a very strategic thing? Or are you just somebody that likes your range of style? 
Yeah, I have. Uh, if if one work with me, they would say I probably have a, a multiple different personalities, and I I don't. There's a reason why in my office I have a statue of Hulk, uh, the Joker, and Batman. On any given day, I'm one of the three, and I don't know who is going to show up. So um, some days it's Batman, you know, three-piece suit, you know, suited up. Some days it's it's Hulk, and some days it's Joker. But uh, on any given day, it could be anybody. Now, now on that wall, on that uh, painting on your wall, it's very special to you. I know it was commissioned. Uh, by the same gentleman that commissioned uh, something for Mark Cuban. And you have MLK, you have Lincoln, you have several people on there that mean something to you. There's also a couple books and one empty chair. And you've mentioned several times in interviews that, hey, listen, I, I have a book I want to release. It's very controversial. Um, how does your mind kind of really gel all your different personalities together and then make them whole? Because it's interesting because on one side, you're a financial services person and that's where you make your money, quote unquote, value taming. You've said, hey, this doesn't make me a whole lot of money at all. This is something I'm very passionate about. How do you merge those? Because in life, in school, and I know you're big on this, when we come up through school, and as a father, for me, one of the things I'm petrified of right now is simply when my kids go to school, that that industrial complex mentality is starting to go into them. And I don't like that because it's, it's like where one teacher said it to me best. She said, Ryan, you know when somebody graduates high school? It's like a VIN number that gets put onto a vehicle when it comes off the assembly line. I, I, I fear that. So how do you manage to combine your passion with your moneymaker, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, PHP is uh, what I love to do because I love numbers. I love finance. I love insurance. I love developing people. You guys see a lot of the content that's public. You don't see a lot of the content that's private. I mean, it's just you just don't see that part. And I've been creating content for a while, but privately, not publicly. And Valuetainment is purely accidental because we started creating content on YouTube part-time. And then all of a sudden, we took a little bit more serious than I locked into one word. And I said that our one word is going to be entrepreneur. And then we produced a video called Life of an Entrepreneur on our Facebook uh, channel. It ended up getting uh, 30-some thousand views. I think total all combined that we can measure from different sites and the fan page. It's about 150, 160 million views. And then content on YouTube got very niche and very focused and uh, we started growing that. And the next thing, you know, I said, you know, what if we get to 10,000 subscribers? And then we got to 10,000. Well, you know, uh, let's get to 100,000. We'll have uh, 10 people flying to spend some time with us. And we got to 100,000. Then a quarter million, then a million, today million five. And uh, it's it's been a very, very weird run. but. You know, it, to me, it, it, one of the guys that works for me now that uh, uh, he applied to get a job. He lives in Norway. The kid's name is Kai. Brilliant kid. He's on vacation right now back in Norway. And he said, I want to work for you. And he sent me all these messages. Finally, I said, listen, I don't think we can visa all this stuff. If you do all these things, then we can figure something out. He did it. And he said, do you think creating content is a way of you getting clear on your philosophies and learning? And I said, you know, it's I don't know if you could have put it better than that, but I think I absolutely agree because, you know, if you look at the valuetainment content, you would be able to see the evolution of myself and the evolution of the content being created. So when one day I sit there, I'm like, really, that's what you thought about at this age? Why would you say that? That's pretty interesting that you were thinking this. And then gradually getting to where it's at today, where we're doing a video called the U.S.-China trade war. And it's get 2.1, 2.2 million views and 12,000 comments and all these political people contact me and then Brexit 
So there's been an evolution, and why am I interviewing mafia people and mobsters? I got another one coming in today. One of Gotti's uh, top uh, number one hitman will be here in the next two hours to do an interview. And that's the mafia series that we have that happened purely accidental, but I studied a lot of mob back in the days as a kid coming up. So, you know, it, it, it's it's an interesting um, relationship. It's almost, I know this can sound weird, you know, uh, PHP is uh, the wife and Valutainment is the mistress, if you want to put it that way. Where it's, but you're, but you're a weird guy, Pat. And- so, sorry to interject here, but when you're doing these interviews... I feel like it's a therapy session, not like for you too. I, when you're talking to some of these people, you're getting just as much value and learning just as much about yourself as you are about the people that you're interviewing, right? I don't know you personally, but when I look at somebody like you, first of all, there's not anybody that's making a change in this world that was not weird. If we study all the greats, they were weird people, right? I had one guy, he owns a whole bunch of uh, dealerships. He says, first, his first statement to me is, Ryan... I'm a weird motherfucker. I don't know why this came in me. I'm just a weird guy. So when you're talking about, and you've been very public, you, you mentioned in an interview with Bedros, you said, hey, if, if I had the right father, I might be purely gangster, man. Because he asked you, like, why are you having all these gangsters on your show, Pat? Like, what is the synergy between that, valuetainment, the business? So for you, your wife, your mistress, I mean, man, your, wor- your world inside your mind is busy. <laughs> it's very busy. Uh, it's very, very busy. So so I get bored very quickly. The more stuff that's going into my mind and the more active I am, the less things I break. <laughs> Is that a way to, you talked a lot about, you know, you, you don't drink coffee, uh, you don't drink alcohol, you've cleaned a lot of that stuff. Back in your days, and this is kind of going into the, um, I want to say it's the, the John Vier phase when you were at Bally Fitness and she was a girl that you used to date. You said she was a African-American girl. And you said, you know, me and her were having a conversation. And she said, you know, Pat, what do you want to do with your life? And you said, I want to be the number one gym membership salesperson on the planet. And you basically said, she laughed at you. Like, really? This is your life goal? And that propelled you into your Morgan Stanley because she said, hey, I want to introduce you to this. So it seems that a statement I like to, you know, a statement I hear and I really do love is people come into your life for a reason and then others come into your life for a season. When we study the Patrick McDavid journey, very incremental people, you know, Jesus Guerrero, all these people that come into your life have really catapulted you. Do you think for you, is that something you invited? Is there a little bit of luck? Is it a little bit of you've put in that preparation to open the door for these types of relationships? Yeah, that's a that's a very technical question you're asking, but I'll explain. I do my I'll do my best to explain it to you. I think there's a part of it where uh, is faith. Uh, there's a part of it where there it's fate, uh, and then there's a part of it of you telling the world what you want, and it shows up. And there's a part of it that's luck. So I can't sit here and tell you it's not, but I think it's all four combined because one, I do believe. Uh, I don't know why this is. I do believe the man upstairs has got my back in ways that I can't explain. I don't know why, but I believe this for a long time. I fully believe I'm one of his favorite soldiers. I don't know why. It's just, and and this is how I believed even when I was an atheist. And it's like, you, you, it's a very complicated relationship. The fate part happens uh, when, when I got uh, uh, to a point where I'm kind of seeing it. Why am I not dead? I mean, I lived in New York. How come the bomb didn't drop in our house and it dropped three houses down from us? You know, and mm. 
And why did that take place? I don't understand. It's like there's no way in the world we should be here. Why is it that we escaped Tehran when we got bombed 167 times in a day and we went to a city called Karaj and then he bombed Karaj and then we left Karaj and went to a city called Rash Bandar Pahlavi and then he bombed there and then I stayed there for 90 days and then the guy stopped bombing and then we finally ended up coming here, joined the military, go to refugee camp. What happened here? So to me, I would say fate, faith, uh, a, a part of you attracting what you believe in, where the, the, the people show up once you're clear about what you want to do, and a bit of luck. Interesting. People in your life, in your closest circle, how do you ascertain if this is somebody who's in here in your life for a reason and then for a season? Like with a with a busy life, and you know, you you alluded to a lot of interviews. You said, look, on the come up, you know, it's important. You know, I got I got to kind of care somewhat what people think of me. These are going to impact me. But you said, I, I'm at a level now that I've proved, like I, I'm at a proven, it's a nice place to be. But how do you now ascertain, do I want anybody else coming to my life? Do I have to have those safeguards up? Again, even how you and I interacted, right? Social media, there's no way I'd be talking to you right now if this was uh, pre-social media dates. You have access to people you would never yeah. get access to, right? So how do you do that filter system? Yeah, I mean, look, it's an extreme level of, like, for instance, it depends on levels of relationship, right? For instance, if you and I are going to have a conversation together and just have fun and there's no depth to it, I can do that on any given day. And it's uh, uh, there is no need for any filters, commonality, sports, politics, business, nationality, ethnicity, kids, parenting, whatever. Oh, my gosh, I like this guy. Great. But the depth, if there's a level one, level two, level three, level four, mm. level five depth, of going to that level, well, that's a whole different story. That could take time. And uh, 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 when, for a person like myself, one of the things I do believe, when you sit there and you wonder why a lot of these people at the top don't trust a lot of people, think about it. Why Why doesn't uh, Trump trust a lot of people? Why doesn't <laughs> Obama trust a lot of people? Why is that? Why doesn't Jordan trust a lot of people? You know, why doesn't Zuck or Bill Gates or someone, why don't they trust a lot of people? What What, what is it with them? Typically, on the way up, you experience one weird factor, and I'm going to explain this to you. It's called, and I'm writing about it in my book, it's when a man with experience meets a man with money, the man with the money leaves with the experience, the man with the experience leaves with the money. Let me explain that one more time to you. So you're coming up, you start making some money, like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? You meet a man with experience. He comes. All of a sudden, somehow, some way, he takes advantage of you. He walks away with a million dollars. You walk away with the experience, right? And this has happened to me multiple times at different stages. And I think it's absolutely necessary. I am looking forward to the next one. I know this sounds weird. I'm looking forward to the next one. Why is that? Because every time that happens, I upgrade. Every time. Mm -hmm. There's two ways to respond to it. One of the ways you can respond to it is well to say, Oh, look at the world. You can't trust anybody. And blah, blah, blah. I can't believe there's so many shady people out there. You know, and how am I going to be able to trust anybody and do all this other stuff? Yes. But that's also an opportunity for you to create a better mechanism or a filtering system or a processing system to decipher through a certain level of due diligence you do now at this level that maybe you didn't do before that creates a certain level of comfort to say, no, I'm good. I'm good because I trust my system. So, it, it, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question for you, but... Uh, it depends on what levels of relationship I'm looking for. I will tell you, there's an element of me where uh, I enjoy my own company. Years ago, a lady named Patty, she was my assistant. Her kid 
when her baby was born, she spent 12 hours a day with me. The baby recognized my voice just as much as she, the baby recognized the father's voice. And because me, her, and the father work together every day. We were at the office every day, right? So one day Patty says, hey, Pat, you know, we all know you got girls, but you know, you, you never sleep around with anybody in the office. Never, I never slept with anybody. The only girl I ever slept around with is the one that ended up being my wife. I never slept with anybody in my office. When I tell you never, Ryan, I'm telling you never. And I did plenty of it, mm. plenty of it outside, but not internal. So she says, we know you got girls. We know you don't like to talk about your private life, but when are you going to settle down and get married? I said, you know, I just don't think marriage is for me. Mm. And she says, why is it? I said, I'm not the easiest person to get along with mm. over long stretches of time. You know, you mm. can get along with me for a day or two, a week. I'm not the guy that... I'm gonna pop because my expectation is here from people, and sometimes it's not it's not very um, uh, it's not very uh, uh, comfortable to be around it regularly, right? And eventually, when I met my wife, I'm like, oh, I cannot believe I don't believe this. There's no way a woman can be like this. And eventually, I pushed her so many times. I'm like, no, she's pretty much like this. And we've been together now for since December 29, 2007. First time we went on a date. First time I met her was April of a uh, June of '02 when I was dating my girl and she was dating her boyfriend. She's been like that from that time. It pretty much hasn't changed, so I trust that part. But uh, to go back to what you're asking, there's an element of me wanting to be around myself, quiet time, thinking time. I don't want anybody to bother me. Mm. And that allows you to kind of think about your next 15 moves. What's the next strategic move I'm about to make right now because I have some thinking time. So yeah, it, it, it better filtering system, better processing system allows you to trust your decision-making process and having people come into your life where before you wouldn't. You're you're an amazing interviewer, and you you know you've alluded to the fact. So PHP Agency October two thousand nine started, right? Correct. And then something like ten days later, you got sued or something like that after starting it, or roughly around that yep. time. Yep. Um, and then you you have currently I I don't know the number up to date, but sixty six support staff that uh, support over eight thousand agents. Correct. In 49 states. We're at 11,000 agents, and oh. it's roughly at about 80 to 90 right now. Wow, that is fantastic. 11,000 agents in 49 states in um, 100 plus offices. Who was the first? When you think about, okay, I started my business, did you start it just alone, uh, PHP agency? Did you start it with a group of guys, or was it just you? You mean owner or you like investor and people that put up money or are you talking about sales uh, guys? Well, just just when you in October when you said I'm gonna go start PHP was that just, just yeah. only your idea? Well, no, it was me and another guy who spoke about this idea. A guy named Jeff. We spoke about this idea to pursue it, and uh, uh, we sat down and we finalized it July of 2019. July 19, 2019. 4 a.m. in the morning, he says, I'm all in, let's go. I said, great. I said, you know, I'm all in. He says, I know you are. And then from there, we made the moves. And September 23rd, I woke up and I said, hey, today's the time to make our move. He says, no, I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to wait 90 more days to prevent us from getting sued. Mm. I said, you know, we're going to get sued. He says, uh, no, I'm, I'm better off not coming. I don't want to make sure you get sued. He had cold feet. He got scared. Fast forward, I left. And, um, you know, he stayed behind. And then three months later, I spoke, you ready? Well, no, I'm going to wait three more months. And every time it was three more months, three more months, until I finally realized this guy's just completely scared to make the move. I respect his decision. No problem. He stayed where he's at. He's doing, he's doing very good for himself. This is a great sales guy. 
is incredible at what he does. He's still very successful. Um, but we made our move and I I left. I wasn't going to stay. When I made a decision, I'm leaving and I'm not going to have somebody else's uh, fears uh, uh, decide what I'm going to be doing. But it was 100% of my own money, all my risk, money I had saved for you know eight, nine years. All of it was on the line and it went from where it was at to down to $13,000. We were about to lose everything. And then, uh, you know, things uh, started picking up. And then from there, obviously, it's a whole different story today. But uh, that's where it was at that time. But it was me and another person on the last minute when he changed his mind. Talking about your your Norway hire, and I think that's a really fascinating story because you you said, hey, when people reach out to me and they ask me for something, I give them kind of a, a little checklist. You got you to gotta run through these hoops. And you said, basically, nobody ever runs through the hoops. But this guy actually ran through the hoops, flew over on his own money showed up and said, hey, um, him asking that question, I mean, going all the way back to the beginning of the interview, I mean, you're talking about Valuetainment and PHP where you have the wife and the mistress. Is it, do you ever think back, what if somebody says, Pat, I don't want to have, I don't want to start a PHP, but I want to start a Valuetainment, but I have zero money. I, I, I don't have that. Do you think going back, you could have started your passion project and got it to the level of PHP? Now, I know PHP is the one that pays the bills, per se. So strategy-wise, what would you tell that person? It's a great question, and, and uh, my answer may not be the most popular answer, but this is what I believe in in the course. So I believe in specialize, then generalize. Unfortunately, most people's strategy is generalize, generalize. Very rarely, if you generalize, you can pop. So watch what happens here. I probably wouldn't have as much credibility creating content if I hadn't become as successful as I did in the one of the most difficult industries to be a part of, which is insurance. Nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I want to sell life insurance. Like, what is the first reaction you get when somebody tells you, hey, Ryan, I want to talk about your life insurance policy? You literally block them. A lot of times that's what, nobody likes life insurance salespeople. So I wanted to take a completely different route. So once I succeeded in a difficult world, being a guy that was in my 20s, 30, uh, in an industry driven by mainly 57-year-old white male agent, predominantly Caucasian, I'm Middle Eastern, from Iran, no four-year, no two-year, the average agent is a you know, 34-year-old Latino female, and we're multicultural, it's, it's, it's not an edge, so it's not an advantage. So for, for me, I saw it as an advantage, then I grew, and then when I started creating content, people were like, well, man, Pat cannot make up these 600 stories and experiences you, you just said. He just says it off the top of his head as if he's done like, he doesn't even stop, and it's been told like the same story's been told nine different times. So you know for a fact the story has happened. So it's not like you know this really happened. Oh, let me find out from yeah, this guy. Actually, really did that. He actually went through this. So that gave credibility, and then I think that's one of the main reasons why Value Team and Pop. If you look at a lot of YouTube channels, okay, a lot of YouTube channels, uh, uh, many of them advertise and they do ads. We don't do ads. Like, I don't drive traffic to our If we grow, it's because we're grown. Like, Joe Rogan is not doing ads. He's grown because he's killing it, right? Rogan's uh, uh, killing his game. You know, a, a lot of these guys who are growing, they're uh, doing a lot of ads. And you learn that. You saw Ty. Ty is a guy that I worked with uh, uh, on, uh, I went to his place, and we did a speaking gig together one time. But he tells it openly. I've probably spent $20 million on YouTube ads. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. no, he says it. So he's like, no, here's how true. I tested it. Well, spend, if you spend $20 million on YouTube, you're going to go to a million subscribers. But today, if you go on Social Blade, 
you can pretty much see exactly what everybody's numbers are. Mine, yours, everybody. So you can, it's a leader's bulletin. And you can typically tell when somebody buys fake followers because if the trend is a decent trend and you typically average 5, 10, 15, 20 followers and then one day you spike up to 30,000, you buy fake followers, you know. Or if you get 300,000 followers on Instagram in one day, guess what? You probably, Kim Kardashian doesn't get 300,000 followers in a day. How did you get 300? So it's very easy in the game to be able to study everybody. So you got to kind of decipher between the BS and the people that are doing the right things. And some of the names you mentioned, they are doing the right thing. So again, it goes back to who you want to be online, right? There are some guys that are just podcasters and that's how they became successful. There are some guys that are, you know, create sales courses, yet they've never sold before. They just read 50 sales mm. books. There are guys that create content that they're killing it with their business and they're, you know, documenting it. Here's who I am, here's my life. Ask me anything, this is what I'm doing. Legit, these are real people that are building real businesses. So it all depends on who you want to be. You know, there's a big difference between Shaq or Kobe having a show on ESPN called Detail where he mm. details hard, he details Draymond Green or Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or Durant. Everybody listens to the, to the point where ESPN paid millions of dollars for Kobe to have this show called Detail. Why are they paying for it? Because it's Kobe. You know, versus if a consultant or a, you know, somebody that's working for ESPN does the same thing. No one's going to listen to their show the way they listen to Kobe's show because he's the expert. So, but there's nothing wrong with that. But who do you want to be? Do you want to be a commentator? Do you want to be the actual player? Do you want to be the owner of a team? Who do you want to be in the spectrum? And once you figure out who you want to be in that spectrum and you're comfortable with it, just know the level of credibility is not going to be as high mm. as somebody who has been in the arena, has gotten the scars, has gotten killed, has been publicly humiliated, and he or she gives the feedback. Level of credibility is here. You will always be secondary or third to it. So, But if you're okay with that, no problem. If you're not, then you got to change your strategy. So you're saying become a practitioner and increase your skill equity uh, prior to maybe going to evaluatainment. Because whatever you're going to talk about, you need to be... I mean, you're right. If, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Ryan, I know how to cut really good hair. I know how to do my fades. I know how to do everything. And then I'm looking at the person, the haircut this person's giving somebody, and it's a terrible haircut. <laughs> I'm just going to start laughing and walk away, and it's over. That's but right. at the same token, you talk a lot about controlling your own narrative. Where you're saying, listen, not everybody's gonna love you, and not everybody's gonna like you. So for you, you you definitely would say, I would I would I would do my PHP, and then I would build to my valuetainment. But what's really interesting though is you're having a reckoning years later because you love you love the, the entertainment field. I mean, you you know you say, hey man, I go to I go to movies alone at 10 a.m. You know, I I I love the storytelling. You're talking about how one of your I don't know if it was an ex girlfriend or a, a friend of yours. Her, her, she was an assistant to the guy that owned the window company out of New York, and he had nice eyebrows. And you're getting so detailed with this. Like I looked at this interview; uh, it was with Bedros. It's kind of funny because you're right. You say in your interviews, you're like, "I enjoyed the interview if it was, you know, above 45 minutes. Below 40, I, I wasn't really feeling the interview." But you can genuinely tell when you're actually connecting to somebody as a human because you guys start doing, you know, I mean, you're doing the eyebrow thing, and then he's like, "Pat." I'll tell you the worst thing I've ever done if you tell me what you did. And it's kind of like watching just a couple of humans talk. And to me, that's that's the best kind of interview you could ever get, right? If I study like Oprah Winfrey and, you know, David Letterman and all these, you know, interviewers that I think, man, these people are, are geniuses the way they can get people to open up. 
you know, that being said. So for you, how did you develop that interviewing skill? How did you, is it a part of the storytelling? Is it a part of the entertainment? You know, I, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. So I probably interviewed, uh, and you're an insurance guy. Done, <laughs> watch this though. I've probably done, if you do 20 a week times, uh, 50 weeks, that's what a thousand, a thousand, I've probably done 10,000 sales interviews myself. Okay. And when I do interviews and I'm, and I'm trying to get a person to convert from real estate to insurance, or I'm trying to get a car sales guy to sell insurance, I'm trying to get a pharmaceutical sales guy to sell insurance. Then I have to identify whether it's a woman or a man or a couple or older or younger or millennial gen X boomer, white, Middle Eastern, African American, it doesn't matter. Mm. It's you have to understand how to position yourself and audible in any given moment to adjust to them. That's one part, right? People skills. It's a lot of uh, people skills and uh, it's the benefit of growing up in a family where your parents fought 24 seven for 10 years. And that was a body language class 101 on steroids because you could always tell mom was pissed at him or he couldn't stand being around her and he wanted to go home or they were in a good mood on a given day or somebody from the family was bothering and you were always concerned and paranoid. So you had to watch all these guys. That was incredible class to take. And, uh, you know, a big part of acting, a big part of acting is knowing how to tap into different moments of your life, right? So for example, a great director will say, hey, Ryan, tell me a girl that broke your heart. And then you're gonna say, Mary. Mm. Really? How bad was it? Oh, terrible. Uh, tell me why it was terrible. He explained it. You explained it to him. Uh, who'd you talk to? I talked to my mom. What happened the next 30 days? You know, I just I just couldn't even function. I couldn't do anything in class. Who'd she date after you? Mm. She dated a guy that I couldn't stand. Really? Yes. How, uh, how Was it public? It was. Did the guy kind of have a face-to-face -face with you and he had a smirk that you remember till today? Oh, I do. How annoyed were you? Very. Did you want to punch him in the face? Yes. Was the look the kind of a look like I'm getting your girl tonight and you're not? I stole you. Yes. I want you to remember that. And that guy right there, Bobby, guess what? He's your boyfriend. He's the boyfriend of your ex. That's the guy. Okay. Go talk to him like that. I'll give you a few seconds to get into the right state. Then I want you to go talk to him the way you did. And go back and remember when you were 16 years old and when she broke your heart. You ready? Go. Boom. And then you go. Boom, you talk, right? And you're in the, you're in the state. So why, 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 is, uh, why is this part so critical? It's because, you know, if you don't tap into all your experiences in your life to be able to connect with somebody, then you're wasting uh, mm. weapons and, you know, stuff you have in your arsenal that you are just not using. Why, why would I have incredible weapons in my army and I go to war and I don't use my tank or don't use my jets or don't use my F-16 or don't use my... Why would I not use it? So a lot of times people don't use it. So when somebody is telling you the story and if you actually listen to them rather than hearing them, too often people are hearing people. Mm. If you listen, hearing you're too worried about how good you look on camera, listening, you're, you're about the person you're interviewing. It's a big difference between hearing and listening. And when you listen, then you're like, wow, that must have been painful. It was. How did you feel when she did this? Oh, it's so funny you're asking that question. Well, I'm asking it because I went to when it happened in my life and, and I saw somebody, I couldn't stand it when she did that to me. How, how did your dad react about it? I'm curious. Well, you know, my dad was, 
Man, that's got to be crazy. It is crazy. So it's it's an element of uh, experience of people, human nature, your own personal experiences, and then doing a little bit of research on the individual. And then from there, you know, hoping it uh, comes out good. And uh, every once in a while it does. I asked you a question on Instagram. So funny because I'm just like, I'm going to ask Pat. It's it's really you know all out of out of the blue. Is it you? I mean, you is it you that always does your Instagram in terms of responses in the DM, or do you have your team going? My account a hundred percent is me. Insta. That's a great now question too. But you're not post. Yeah. You're, are are you the one making your actual post and writing the content though on your Instagram feed? One hundred percent. One hundred. That's great. On on my Insta. On my yeah 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 Insta. on Patrick but David. On my Insta is scheduled. Okay. Everything on Valuetainment Insta pretty much is scheduled and yeah. pre-written, not my Insta. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That's good. Because sometimes you see my Instagram for three days without me posting anything. Of course. Yeah. And, and what about LinkedIn? Are you, the, are you the one doing your LinkedIn or you have your team? Only me. LinkedIn is 100% me. Everything. Ah, I love that. I love that. You know what I like about your posts too is that... Not that I'm the grammar police because I could give a shit about that, but I love the way you you'll talk. And I know you said like when you were, you immigrated over to the states, you're like, man, I used to call Island Eastland and all these different things. But sometimes you'll write a post on LinkedIn, and I'm like, this guy did he, this guy just. I mean, you must have just been in the toilet or something, just hammering away. And you're like, guys, yeah, this is out, and it's much what it and is. you and you push it out. And I, I really love that about you. Um, I, 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 knowing you were coming on the show, I took a huge poll online on our social media. We've got hundreds of questions for you, but you know, I, we don't have the time for it, but Liz Pia from Toronto, Ontario asked, she said with Pat, with awareness and education is key to protect our children from harm online and or on the streets, especially those who are thinking of entering the gang lifestyle. How can we make significant changes to our current state of crime to protect our children and our communities? Also, Given the current landscape of work with lots of younger people wanting to be YouTube stars, and this is not going to happen for all of them, what would be your thoughts on those topics? I know they're heavy, but... Hey everyone, I know you are enjoying this episode. As a friendly reminder, please leave a review where you are consuming this episode right now. I cannot stress how impactful and supportive this is for the show. We would really appreciate that. Also, please follow me at RyanHoltz1 on all platforms. If you would like to be a guest or you have any questions or any feedback about the show or would like some information on sponsorship opportunities for your business or for yourself, please email info at reinholtz.ca. Remember, curiosity should always be your mandate. Much love, Team Holt Squad. You talk a lot about your kids. You talk a lot about kids in general. You've made videos of how to teach your kid entrepreneurship and things of this nature. What What would you have to say to that? What was the second part, the YouTube part? Yeah, uh, yeah. So basically, yeah, just just a tie-in question of you know, given the current landscape of of working, especially with the service industry, some skills are becoming so automated. So, like for instance, when I was uh, you know, ten, eleven, twelve, I I was delivering papers, I was doing all these different things. Where I live, nobody even gets the newspaper anymore. So a lot of these you know minor jobs have dried up. So a lot of kids are saying. I don't want to even do that kind of crap. I want to become a YouTube star. She's basically saying, yeah. how can we keep them busy, but then also keep them realistic? Yeah, so that's, that's a, those, are, those are two great questions. So let me, let me touch on the first one here. Uh, it's so funny. One of my guys today, he's a vice president of our company. Uh, we paid him $204,000 last month. They do very good in the business here. 
And he calls me, he and his wife call me and they said they had a very bad incident in with one of their salespeople. I said, what is it? I said, he says there was a terrible experience with the uh, uh, a relationship. I said, how bad? Pretty bad. I mean, it got physical with one of them. I said, okay. And, uh, you know, so we're talking and he's telling me all this stuff. And I said, um, you know, do you remember just three weeks ago when I made an hour video and I talked about the 20 values and principles to build your business on? They said, yes. I said, do you know why I did that video? They said, why? I said, exactly for today. He says, well, tell me more. I said, no problem. I said, the, the, the thing with values and principles isn't to say, hey, look how moral I am and look how, you know, religious I am. Because I, you know, for me, my number one red sign, if you ask me something when people want to do business with me and they bring the Jesus card or the God card, that's actually the worst thing you can do with me. If anybody in a sales meeting wants to bring up God and tell me why, you know, because of Jesus, we should do business together. I'm a Christian guy. I go to church on Sundays. I mean, that's something most people don't know about, but you don't hear me uh, publicize it. You don't hear me advertise it because I don't trust it when people do that. You know what I'm saying? So, mm. so, but I said, it's not that I'm trying to tell you that I am more holy than you. I am sharing this with you because there's a reason why so many immigrants around the world come to America. Why? Let me simplify. A lot of people, obviously, the number one reason is what? Free enterprise. They come business, capitalism. So you have the ability to go out there and make money. And let me tell you, in, in the Middle East, if I can come and you let me get to work, this is why so many Middle Easterns in America have businesses, restaurants, markets, you know, carpet you know, construction, they go out there and make a few hundred thousand dollars because they're not afraid of working 70, 80 hours a week. Just leave us alone. We'll get to work, right? Okay. <laughs> but why do so it's many true. people from these countries come to America? Huh? Let's think about it. They do because the values and principles being taught from all the way at the top doesn't create safety. Mm. Let me say that one more time. The values and principles from the top being taught doesn't make them feel safe. So they go immediately to a country that from the top, the values and principles that the country was founded on, at least teaches peace and freedom. That, that doesn't mean that America doesn't have crime. That doesn't mean that America is not gonna have issues. That doesn't mean we don't have, but we don't have, you know, the amount of issues that's going on in the Middle East. And I'm from Iran. So, so that's the values and principles side. So if she's asked, I think her name is Liz, who asked the question, you know, the, the part with me, my kids go to private school and, and I go and I meet with every teacher of theirs and I want leverage. Let me explain to you what I mean by I want mm. leverage. Here's how I want leverage. I want leverage by making sure I have three kids that go to the school. I spend a lot of money with the school, which means I have a voice in this school. I mm. want a voice. One of my main motivations about wanting to make a few hundred million dollars, having made a few hundred million dollars, isn't because of my Lambo, my Ferrari, my Rolls Royce, my 15,000 square foot house, or the $100,000 watches and half a million dollar cards. It's not because of that. One of the reasons for me was when I go into a restaurant, I want to be treated royally. I'll pay additional money, but I want to be treated royally. If I go into a hotel, I'll pay additional, but I want incredible service, but I'll pay premium. If I take my kids to a school, I want to be treated royally with respect, but I'll pay the premium. So what's your point, Pat? I am very much involved. Like I went and met with my son's uh, second grade teacher and I sat down with her and she, we went through and she's giving me her whole spiel and here's what happens in second grade. 
And we told them how many books our kids have read this summer. Our son's like, oh, none of our kids have read this many books. I said, well, it's a requirement in our house to read every day. You don't get to watch TV or play video games on Saturday, Sundays, unless if you don't finish your book and do a question on a daily basis on top of whatever homework you guys give them. Oh, really? None of the parents do this? Well, I'm not trying to be any of the parents. I'm trying to, you know, uh, build my kids in a way that I think it's, uh, gives them a higher chance of success in life. And she goes through her own thing. And then I said, okay, may I give you a bit of understanding about our kid and how he's wired? Yes, sure. I said, the worst teacher you guys have in school, she stops me. She says, no, we've already been briefed on that. I said, what do you mean? Everybody on campus knows which teacher you don't like, and she was fired. Everyone knows that because you've been saying that for the last two years. I said, yes, but I want to remind you. I want to remind you why, though. She says, I've heard all of it, but please, I want to hear it from you. So I told her, I said, I said the reason why, uh, I said, listen, her grandkids are best friends with my son. So, so, so the teacher's grandkid is the best friend of my son. And I'm still going to tell you this here. She's the worst teacher in school because she teaches kids by putting them in a box. Yeah. And if you would have put me in a box, I would have been a nobody in my life because I was so weird in school. You can't put, so I asked the teacher one day, I said, do you know how to deal with creative kids? She says, what do you mean? I said, I don't think you know how to teach creative kids. Mm. She said, I said, my son is creative. I said, you know how to deal with safe kids. You don't know how to deal with creative kids. There's three kids in the class you don't know how to handle. And they're all wired the same. My son happens to be one of them. And you kept all of them back one grade. And all three are smarter than the other kids. They excel in math, they excel in everything, but you just don't know how to handle them. So she didn't like that. Now that statement went to the principal, she ends up getting fired. I said, but let me explain to the two teachers that were life-changing. Ms. Szynski, she may be the most incredible teacher I've met in my life. Two kids. The year that my son was in her class, one of them got cancer. The other five-year-old died. Mm. Dallas came and did a story on the kid, and this teacher handled it in the most graceful way. I wanted the world to know who she is. She's a hero that no one knows mm. about. Mm. And I said, Miss, the next teacher, my son, what she did, she was incredible. So, Liz, the reason why I'm going a little bit deeper on this is because we need to be more involved. We need to be more involved as parents. The more involved we're in, the more we're able to create influence. Keep this part in mind. If there's a, if there's a percentage of parenting, like you know how you have an investment portfolio and you're 60% bonds, you know, for 30% mm -hmm. stocks, 10% cash, whatever, depending on your age. So here's where there's a percentage that your kids born with a DNA. You have no control over that. We're all born a certain way. The day we were born, we've been like the same way. Certain things you're not gonna change. Personality wiring. It's mm. just you can call it moon, zodiac, yeah, yeah, whatever you yeah. want to call it. They're wired. A, a percentage. Yeah. The other percentage is the influence that you don't have any control over, okay? Mm. Then there's the percentage of influence that you and I have control over, okay? We we cannot do nothing about this part. Let's set this aside, okay? Which is their wiring. The part about influence over our kids, we have to have so much control over it on who you allow to have voice with your kids. And then with us, we have to take five, 10, 15 different values and principles and keep harping on it over and over and over again. For me, they're very simple. Lead, respect, improve, love, okay? That's one. We don't bully, we don't get bullied. That's mm -hmm. two. Four things we pray for at night, courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding. Mm -hmm. That's three. And last but not least, I wanna pass down reading to my kids. I wanna teach them delayed gratification. I wanna learn them about earning, and I wanna teach them about negotiation. I negotiate with all my kids all the time. Those are my values and principles. And whatever happens there, I'm trying to increase the odds in my favor and I'm trying to control who's in their ears and I can't do nothing about how they're wired. That's what I would say. And then as far as the adjustment with YouTube and all these other things, we have to adjust, not them. That, that part, 
we have to adjust to. Historically, we no one said anyone's going to buy a car. Ford said, you know, people are still going to want a horse. When they told Ford he wanted to come out with a car, what are you talking about? No one's going to go out there and get a car. People want to have right? Evolution of technology, even Elon Musk is very concerned. I think eventually it's going to get pretty scary, but I don't think it's going to be the next five, 10 years. I think it's a long ways because I trust, I trust the human mind and human creativity that computers cannot yet do. Mm. I trust the human empathy. I trust the human understanding of each other. I, I, I trust humans love the kindness, the common sense, the way we respond when a major crisis happens, you can't teach that to a computer. Mm. I trust, I trust mm. when New York 9-11 happened, there's a certain level of camaraderie that was created in that community. You can't teach that to computers. How are you gonna teach that mm. to computers? I don't know who you are, but I see you crying because you lost your son. I'm coming over, what do you want me to do? Is he stopped? I'll go out there and pull him out because that's just our, no computer is gonna be able to do that kind of stuff. We need people. So the moment somebody starts telling you all this stuff, you gotta start, trusting human nature and human beings the existence of, of us so i hope that answers liz's question it does Th this book behind me is is a shout out to you and robert green because i read the book once and then i felt like i absolutely took in nothing it was so in depth i i read it again and then i did an audio book on it because it was so like you know right you said some books you read some books you study right and that was one of the books that you study that being said, with YouTube and whatnot, you know, it's funny because you mentioned everything about kids. The, the one story that you did tell me that really even got me choked up was that, you know, you talked about um, a student at uh, a friend of your daughter at, a, at the school. Her parents, there was some crying. I, I think a door was left open and one of the children drowned in the pool. It was, you know, and you, you, you kind of said this. I was listening to it and all of a sudden that came out of nowhere. And I, I oh, you know, because I'm a new dad too, you know, so I just... There was something when you said it, I just thought, oh, my God, like it, my reaction to it was very I got quiet. I actually let my wife listen to that little clip because I said, honey, like, I mean, look what we're doing for the kids. We're working so hard. But man, life can come and just smack you upside the mouth. You thought you, you did everything in your control, but there's an element that, you know, is not in your control. Could you extremely like, and I think that is <laughs> I know? Do, what's your question with that? I think it's just more so how does that make you feel, you know, to, you know, you, you go to bed every night with your kids, you, you tell them, Hey, what's the four things we want to pray to from God. You are, you know, involved in their school and their activities. You are, you know, saying, I think this is the great, uh, you know, this is a blueprint that could set you up for success. But at the end of the day, there is an element where Patrick, but David and Jennifer, but David have no control at what could happen. Nope. And I think that's that's the argument of why we need God. Um, 25 years, I was an atheist, okay? No one can help you get through times like that. Nobody, mm. nobody can, mm. nobody. You cannot, you cannot go through a time like that. It's just, you You cannot, if, if you can't go through a time like that all by yourself, you may be the coldest human being alive. You need to speak to somebody. You can't speak to your wife. You can't speak to your husband. You can't speak to your mom or dad. You can't. You can't. You can be in around an environment, but there has to be something deeper because when you're by yourself, who the hell are you talking to when you're by yourself? And you're gonna be by yourself a lot. Mm. And this whole concept about being by yourself, not having something to communicate to, tells you that you need uh, that other element behind you. 
They say 87% of Fortune 500 companies have a strong relationship with the higher power, whatever it may be. It's a lot of different ones, but they have it. Um, you need that. In the military, you know, uh, there was a lot of it because when you're in war, when you're by yourself, you have to you have to figure out a way to save your sanity. And uh, this was a very tough story. When my wife told me that, I went straight to the bathroom because I can't listen to stories like that. My, my stomach, I just had to go because I didn't feel good about it. I, this, these are... These are innocent kids, man. That's a very, very painful thing. That's a very painful thing. So, yeah. Because it's in, you know, it's such a balance, you know, and not to be cliche here, but when you, you know, and parents who are blessed to have kids, and I know you talked a lot about this, you know, even when you're in your single days, you thought you said, I think 2012, you said, you know, I almost had a nervous breakdown when all of a sudden I had a business, I'm getting married, I, you know, I had children, and this was like the most amount of pressure that you ever felt. You know, and, and I can relate. I'm a dad, too, you know, and I grew up, I grew up, my mom, uh, I, I was raised by a single mom till 13. My mom had a heart attack, and I walked in, and there's her body laying there. I, I had no parents from 13 and above, and that was the worst, and it will always be the worst day of my life. It, I can I can recite it. I can remember the firefighter. I can remember the hair color. I can smell the smell. You know, it's it's just an experience that you can't recreate. But what that did was it did create a massive chip, as you've talked about, on my shoulder. And I played football from 13 to 21, thank God, because, man, I was an upset kid that I didn't really know. Looking back now, I knew I was upset. But, man, I took it out, and it was a healthy way. And then I formatted that into my own company. I said, you know, it's funny. I worked for State Farm Insurance at 21 years old after I graduated school. I was writing personal commercial and uh, and uh, personal commercial and fire home lines of insurance. Did extremely well. I went 100% commission. Built my book of business. I went and got my LLQP, which here in Canada is your life license, so it's annuities, mutual funds. That book, to me, if that was one of the books of all time, I think everybody should have to read that book. It taught me about money in a way that was I thought about money completely different. But I, I, I remember at 21 years old working at State Farm, I go into the boss. We're doing our one-year annual review. I thought, man, I wrote so much business. I'm going to get a great raise. He said, Ryan, we're going to raise your check $2,000. Your salary, $2,000 for the year. Oh, it's like I just was like something came over me. That negative was the best positive because I said, Ryan, from this day forward, you are going to you are going to control your own journey in life. And this is what I've done and this is what I've built for. My whole podcast, and, and to be honest, Pat, I don't even care if we call it a podcast. I don't even like to title it because my whole mandate for the show was curiosity. And I said, I want to live out some of my fantasies in my own mind by talking to some brilliant minds in this world. And I, I thought, you know, I love what you're doing too. And I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but one day your kids are going to get to say, that's my dad, you know, go check out my dad. Could you imagine if we got to talk to our great grandpas or I would love to watch my mom on a podcast right now, getting interviewed or interviewing somebody. This is, there's no money, amount of money you could put on that. Um, but that being said, um, my last question, cause I know we got to wrap it up here is, with this content marketing and strategy that's being pushed out nowadays, you guys put out so much content when it comes to business. You do it in a very entertaining way. I love that. But there is so many people out there pushing out content that have no business pushing out content, in my opinion. And what it's doing is it's, it's making this market very convoluted, right? What is a way for, you, for them to really, you know, kind of filter out those good videos and you've said this out of your own mouth you said listen for somebody to go from zero to six figures 
if you watch the right videos on YouTube or even the Valuetainment channel, you can get there. If you don't, you're lazy. You're just not working hard enough. You've said that. So for you, how can somebody filter that out and make sure that the content they are getting is the content that they should be getting, if that's possible? Getting or producing? Getting. Meaning I'm, 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 I woke up, I want, I, want to, I want to get in business, I'm getting all these gurus coming down my Facebook page, I'm going on to YouTube. Who and why, how do I filter out all this crap? This is a question I get it's all the, the time. It's the most important question. Most important question to ask is how did you make your money? And how much of it did you make pre-creating content? That's what I want to know. Okay, because if you made your money only creating content, I can't learn from you. Because mm. what I can only learn from you is how to make money creating content. That's not my game plan. I want to know how you made your money pre. And everybody is falling into three different categories. You have people that are technical and they have theories based on books they've read, right? Or oh, I've read so many books. Because of it, I'm a good teacher. Fine, but they're theories, not stuff you've applied. You've just read a lot, right? Second level is people who have witnessed somebody else. They've witnessed somebody win. So for instance... I watched, uh, you know, Bill Gates at Microsoft that was there for the first 10 years and I saw him work there. Oh, that's pretty valuable. That's sick because you witnessed it, right? Mm -hmm. I witnessed, you know, uh, what Michael was doing when he was 14 years old playing ball to 18 when he left high school. That's a very powerful person to be if you have witnessed him from 14 to 18. Yesterday, my CFO comes and says, I was in San Antonio when I was watching Shaq playing high school ball and what he was doing. I said, wow. And Bo Outlaw came. So he witnessed, right? He's a witness, but he can't teach you and I how to play basketball. All he can tell is, here's what I saw Shaq do, right? Okay. <laughs> then the last one is application and personal experience, yes. which means here's how I built a business from zero to hundred million a year. That's not witness. Here's how I did it. That person typically has theories, has witness and has experience. So trifecta. whoever that's creating content, exactly trifecta. If they're a level three leader, then you're in a different position. You can get a lot better content from them than somebody else. Now, somebody else may be a better communicator. You know, it, it, they may be better at delivering a message. But um, after, it took me probably five years to be able to decipher between the two. And I don't know why I always gravitated towards the guy that was a trifecta who had theories, witness, and application over the person that was a better communicator. There was a lot of people that went straight to the communicator. Oh my gosh, you're such a great motivational speaker. I was bored with them. Believe it or not, mm. they bored me. Of course. The people that were actually giving value that if you applied one, I was impressed with them because they were not holding back. So these were the folks I wanted to go and learn from and it's, it's life changing. So for somebody watching this saying, well, Pat, how do I process between those two? Just do a little bit of research. I mean, you can find out how they made their money. If you want to find out some names, you can find out how a lot of people made their money. It's not hard to do the research on that. It's public. Who's your communication partner, Patrick? Who? And what I mean by that, you know, there's this whole thing called saying things better. Who is your communication partner? Who's somebody that you find that, man, you, I drive? Well, it's, it's, it's a communication type of question. I mean, you talked a lot about people who you, you wanted to have your own time. You like your isolation. We talked a little bit about how you let people in, how you don't let people in. Who do you find? I mean, even you, you talked about the way you hire people and you related to astrology where you said, I love April babies. They're great support, which I was born April 22nd. And I was kind of thinking, 
am I a great supportive person in an organization where I be great support? And then you talked about fields, but that's a different question, but that's okay. But who would be your communication partner? You've interviewed so many people. What style do you just feel like, oh man, this is going to be great. You guys just jive. I mean, what communication style is your wife? You married her. That means that, I mean, you guys probably have the best communication of everybody you talk to. She's a, she's a great listener and she, she's very respectful mm. when she gives feedback. So, and the way she does it is so uh, consistent and subtle that it's so easy to receive. Mm. Uh, my CMO, my uh, COO, Alice, she, I call her, um, who is that? Chim Chimini, Chim Chimini, Chim Chim Chimini. <laughs> who is the lady in that, in that movie? Uh, oh What's her name? God. Mary Poppins. Oh, Mary Poppins. I call her yeah. Mary Poppins. She's our Mary Poppins, incredible listener, great at giving feedback, processes very well, and knows how to say, you know, hold back a little bit, Pat, with this. Uh, Greg is a very, very good guy for me because Greg's a genius. Greg is a, uh, uh, he's the founder of Ambina Partners. He's got access to a few billion dollars of capital. And uh, uh, he, when I'm talking to him about business, hiring, firing, who to bring culture, always gives me tip of the spear type of a, Feedback. Mario is a great person to process content with. Um, you know, uh, Tikran is a great guy to process sales issues with. I mean, I can go on and on. Ian's mm. a great guy to process financial issues with. There's a lot of people, but the, but to me, the the fun the same topic cannot be processed with everybody. It's mm. different with everybody. There are certain people that you can go to about to- about a topic that will be more deeper than another person you go to. So it's it's, it's you got to make sure the team's the right team to go to. Somebody loves marketing. Let's let's talk about a Seth Godin. Somebody loves marketing. They enjoy it. They love it. They like to figure out why people buy, what makes them do certain things. But they hate the hand-holding or to convince another business owner why they need this type of marketing. Should they leave the field of marketing? Should they not do client work from the agency perspective and try to do... Like Seth Godin's... Seth Godin's... Uh, uh, absolutely amazing in the sense that he publicly says i don't like to market for clients but i love marketing how does somebody make a business around that to you is that possible or is that a rarity to not to love marketing but not want to do marketing for clients but still make a living doing it like seth godin has wrote books he's wrote all these different things kind of like joe rogan like you talked about you said Man, you look at yourself. You you went and built PHP, and now you're building content on Valuetainment. It gives you such a level of equity, and it gives you such oh, a level. But I think I think Joe Rogan is a trifecta. I think Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan is not giving business advice. Yes, Joe Rogan is not giving business advice. Joe Rogan, when he talks about anything related to UFC, MMA, everybody listens. Why? You ever seen Joe Rogan kick? You should go on YouTube and type in Joe Rogan kicks. It's got 10 million views. See how the guy kicks. Okay. Joe Rogan was a fighter. I think one of his fights back in the days with all gear on, he kicked the guy in the chest so hard the guy couldn't get up for minutes. So Joe Rogan was a great uh, fighter himself. Uh, Joe Rogan's a reader. He's a very curious human being. Uh, and, and Joe Rogan was an actor years ago. He was on a show called Newsday, I think he was, and, and he did a lot of acting there, right? So, and then he had Fear Factor, yeah. and he did a couple other things, and he became the whole. So, so he's his reach. You got to respect Joe. Joe is a trifecta for what he's doing. That's why he's getting more listenership. If they measured all the listenership of shows that people do, he'd be up there with everybody. But uh, going back to answer the question for you, 
you know, if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. But there's no way in the world when he walks into a room, the name you mentioned, uh, Seth, you said Seth Rogen, who's a Seth, very well-known so, author. No, no, Seth Godin. Seth Godin, yes. I'm sorry, Seth Godin. Seth Rogen's yes. the actor. Seth uh, Godin, <laughs> when he walks, Seth Godin wrote a few books I've read myself. When Seth Godin walks into a room and Elon Musk walks into a room, who are you going to walk towards first? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so when Seth Godin walks into a room, and Zuckerberg walks into a room, who's going to get the oohs and ahs? Now, if Seth Godin walks into a room and Tim Ferriss walks into a room, maybe I get it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, because then if Seth Godin walks into a room and Gary walks into a room, who are you going to go to? I mean, it's there, there, is no, uh, there is no comparison there, unless if you're trying to be Seth Godin. If you are, then that's your person. You want to go to him to find out how he wrote to become who he is today, because that's your goal. There is nothing wrong with that. This isn't about, you know, one is more important than the other. It's levels in life. If Seth Godin put an event together in Madison Square Garden, will he sell out if he had 24 hours? Or Michael Jordan, would he sell out? Or Kobe Bryant or Elon Musk or President Trump or President Obama? Who would sell out Madison? You got 24 hours. Mm. There's levels to this. Mm. Now, there, there's... You put a, a event together for three days and you bring 20 speakers, they're all authors, to speak. Every one of them are authors. Well, then Seth Godin amongst authors is gonna be the closing speaker. That's a, that's a different in that world. So I'm not taking shots at the guy because I consume his content and he writes these small little blogs that are 250 words, I think. And it's very interesting the way he explains it. He's a genius on what he does. But uh, there's levels to the game. And it, you know, when you sit, like I, I did a meeting one time, and let's let's find, finish up on this thought. If you got a couple questions at the end to do speed round, we'll do that, because I gotta go, they're, they're coming and knocking on the door. Uh, I was in Houston when I gave this message. A girl came up to me and she said, uh, Pat, her name is Gabby. She said, uh, why do you not look at us and why do you smile every time you see us versus when you see them, you have a serious conversation with them. Why is that? I said. Are you asking this question because you want that kind of respect? Is that why you're asking this question? Yes. You haven't earned that kind of respect. Uh, you want me to walk in and stop because I see you? For what numbers? What kind of performance? I said, so now here's the good news. The good news is that kind of attention matters to you. You want it because you're thinking about it. The rest of the people here are not thinking about it. You're thinking about it. Guess what? If you want that level type of attention and you're willing to put the work behind it, guess what? You'll eventually have that kind of attention. But but wanting that kind of attention and not willing to do the work is the most miserable miserable place in the world to be. Because to me, after having experienced business for the last God knows how many years, I've learned who the most miserable people are. Ambitious, competitive, lazy people are miserable. Let me say that again. Ambitious, competitive, lazy people are miserable because they're so ambitious they're so competitive they, they have such great you know big grand dreams and and they're, they're they watch sports they watch everything about competition they love competing but they don't want to do the work they want to sleep mm -hmm. in they kick back mm -hmm. so they measure i'm going to kick back i bet i can beat him i can't believe he's beating me i think bigger than him but you don't want to work mm -hmm. it's a very tough place to be those are the got to be careful with in life by the way you find people like that, don't tell them good news, do not tell them bad news. Just kind of be mute. Let them talk, even if they're relevant, because they will come back and figure out a way to beat you in their own game. 
So, you know, again, I don't know if that answers your question for you, but there's it levels does. to the game on what level type of respect do you want? It does. And, and I have to say thank you so much for everything today. My last question to you is what can I do for you? You, you know, just be you, man. I, I, I like seeing your personality. I think you have what it takes to really drive and get to the next level. What excites me more is when I hear a story like yours and then a year, two years, three years later, you send me an update and tell me, Pat, I'm running a business right now. We did 28 million last year. Mm. You know, here's where I will meet my wife. And our kids are doing this. I like to see progress in the people I do things with. And you do that. I'm very happy. But uh, what you could help us out with, we got a sales course coming out. I just finished shooting it finally yesterday. People have been asking about it for five years. I finally, they locked me in the, uh, in the what do you call a studio. We finally shot it A through Z. We're excited about that. That'll come out soon. And as well as the vault conference I do once a year. Uh, last year we did it, it was a three-day conference purely about business with myself. I brought Phil Heath, Peter Goober, some, uh, the uh, chief recruiter from uh, Netflix and Michael Francis. And we have people show up from 43 different countries. The next one will be coming up next year, 2020. We'll be launching, announcing the date here soon. If you put those links, that'll be helpful. Those are the two things I got from you. Pat, we've been talking an hour, seven minutes and 26 seconds. I hope you enjoyed it because you said anything under 40 you hate. <laughs> You're a beast. You're a beast. You go in places. You're a very good interviewer. Very good. Thank you, Patrick. Have a great day and blessings to your whole family, my friend. You as well, buddy. You as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.